The following message was preached at Flint Hill Baptist Church. We would love for you to join us on Sundays for life groups and worship, or on Wednesdays for adult Bible study, kids, and youth activities. For more information, visit flinthill.net. If you got your Bibles this morning, open them up to uh, 1 John chapter 1. A little small book in the back of your New Testament. 1 John chapter 1. I've been in a series for quite some time talking about nothing but the blood. And this morning I just want us to take a moment looking in 1 John chapter 1 at a few verses here about the purifying power of the blood of Jesus and how he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. In some scriptures, a translation, it says purifies from all unrighteousness. And there really is power in the blood. And uh, I've shared that with you several times here in messages. Uh, we just came off Easter, and it's just a wonderful time to celebrate the resurrection of Christ. And the application of that resurrection is in our everyday living, our everyday lives. The, the power of the risen Savior is evident in our life. And uh, anyways, 1 John chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 5 through 10. 5 through 10. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son purifies us from all sin. If we claim, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us, all, uh, forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. You know, for some reason, the Lord is just drawing me to the Apostle John, and uh, who, who God used to write 1st and 2nd and 3rd John and Revelation. And uh, I got something up here. I keep doing this number right here. There's like a piece of fuzz up here. It's probably hanging off my glasses, my people that wear glasses anyway. But there's some reason, some reason uh Lord's just really uh, drawn me to the Apostle John. And, and uh, as you know, just to give a little background, John was in the region of Asia, Asia Minor at this time. And he ended up settling in the city of Ephesus, which if you've been with me on Wednesday night, we've been walking through the book of Ephesus or Ephesians, city, uh, the Word of God to the church there in Ephesus for some time. Uh, most likely this letter was written towards the end of his life. He could have been somewhere around 80 years old when he penned these words. The Lord used him to do that. It would have been somewhere around 90 A.D., late in the first century. Uh, what's interesting is this. We hear the heart of God. In, verse, in chapter 2, verse 1, you hear the pastoral heart of, the, uh, of God coming from John when he says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. Now, I don't know about you, but this morning's message is going to have a lot to do with sin and, 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 and our thoughts about that. So you might be saying, wow, I picked a bad time to come to church. I don't know. Uh, but we're going we're to look at this because there's a lot going on here in the background in this passage. In fact, I just want to take a moment again, uh, in the, particularly in the church in Ephesus, in uh, Acts chapter 20. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to just turn there real quickly. In Acts chapter 20, Paul in one of his farewells before he actually is going to Rome. And you know Paul's worked there. He ministered there for several years in, in Ephesus and preached the gospel. 
But now he's, 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 he knows the Lord's moving him on, and he's eventually going to be going to his death for preaching the gospel. Uh, but in verse 27 of chapter 20 in Acts, Paul makes this statement to the, to the elders there, to the leadership there at the church. He says, For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. And I'm very thankful for that, the whole will of God. In verse 28, he says, Keep watch over yourselves and the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he uh, bought with his own blood. In verse 29, he says, I know that after I leave, savage wolves, is his description, will come among you and will not spare this flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I have not stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. That must have been a very difficult time for Paul. I mean, for all those years he was there in Ephesus and the Lord, the Holy Spirit, was prompting his heart to remind the leadership there, said, hey, you need to hang on to the truth of the gospel because there's going to be people that are going to rise up among you and come from without you and they're going to distort this word, this truth of the gospel. In fact, it's going to tear you asunder. There's going to be some that are going to go out from you, going to be led astray, they're going to be deceived. And so in this moment, I mean, you can see why in the book of Ephesians, now I'm back in 1 John, but I just remind you in, in, what we, the first, uh, in Ephesians chapter 6, uh, 10 through 20, he talks about putting on the full armor of God. It really is the battle cry of the church to stand firm in the mighty power of the Lord. In that same passage, I'm reminding us, he says, don't be unaware, don't be ignorant. I would say, don't be foolish about the devil's schemes. I mean, here we are, and I'm approximately around, you know, 80, 90 A.D. I mean, this is, I mean, this is just the same generation that saw Jesus rise from the dead. John the Apostle's here. He witnessed it in the first few verses of chapter 1. He says, listen, I'm sharing with you what I have seen with my own eyes. I'm not telling you something I haven't seen. He's saying, I have seen it. I'm an eyewitness of the resurrection of Jesus and the gospel and what we've heard, and I'm going to share it with you, the word of life, he says. And he says, this message we've heard from him, and we're going to declare to you. And yet it's just a handful of years later, all of a sudden there is these schemes, this weaving into the body of Christ, erroneous thinking, specifically in this passage, about sin. Now, I'm just going to share that. I don't know if this will help you or bore you to death, but anyway, later on in the second century, there's a group of people that were known as Gnostics. Came to full-fledged. But in, in, in this passage right here, he's refuting those people right here in, the, in, in this passage of Scripture. In fact, the seeds have already been sown and planted, obviously, here in the, in, in, in the churches. And it's not just Ephesus, it's Asia Minor. Now, these churches are the same ones that uh, would have been uh, referenced in Revelation. We'll get to that at some point. But this word Gnostic, these Gnosticism, this word Gnostic, it comes from the word Gnosko. It means knowledge. Now, I say this to you because, I mean, listen, the Bible preaches it well. I don't have to preach it. It's not my eloquent words. Jesus said, he said, he is the truth. you got to know him, know the truth. Those that know the, the truth about the gospel. That word gnosko means experiential knowledge, and it's used throughout the New Testament. In, in other words, if you know Jesus Christ personally and passionately, it's going to make a difference in your life. God changes you. I, I shared that last Sunday. He's going to rot something from the inside of you out. It's not some head knowledge. It's not how much you know and how many scriptures you can quote and how many PhDs you have. or if you, could, you know. No. 
It's an experiential knowledge. When we grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's the word gnosko. It means experiential. It means to know Him personally in our lives. However, it is in this same vein that some have begun to wonder from the truth of the gospel that John confronts here in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. These Gnostics, so-called, they would take it and literally, uh, and, and, and it came out in a couple ways when it got fleshed out, literally, they basically would say uh, that Christ did not really uh, come in human form fully. And when you flesh this out to the fullness, and the seeds are sown here, in other words, uh, to, to say that you were a Gnostic or believed that, it literally meant that you, you really didn't believe Jesus' body was real. In other words, that somehow... When he was here, he was governed by the Spirit, but he wasn't really human like we're human, and he really didn't die like we die, you know, all that stuff. And it became more spiritual than it was physical. And it seemed, apparently, and you can see it when you read 1 John, that the folks that promoted this and began to speak this, they seemed to uh, talk about themselves as high, having a higher knowledge, like Gnostic, you know what I'm saying? That knowledge. That they, in other words, to be spiritually elite or understanding this is what they progressed to. That they said, oh, no, 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 this is the truth. Now, others, other line of thought uh, that would consider them um, Gnostic, they would, have, they would have said this. They would have said that uh, Christ, the Spirit of God, descended on him in his baptism, you know this, uh, but would have departed him or left him before his crucifixion. Because they would have said there's no way that the Spirit of God would have been in, in that person, in that flesh, and would have died that time. And, and so they began to pre preach and speak and teach on this. And that train of thought began to go, go rampant in the church when you get later into the second century. And, continue, and really became a great threat to the gospel. And so we see the seeds of this here in this passage right here. Now why, why, are these so, why is it so important that John would confront this? Confront this erroneous thinking, this, this thoughts about the Lord and about His death. Well, it's, 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 it's this. If you really believe those things, if you press that to its fullness, then you don't believe that Jesus was truly human, which therefore means that He really didn't die for our sins. The requirement for, for, the, for the justification of our sins is that Jesus had to truly literally dwell within man. He was born of a woman. He was flesh like we're flesh, but he yet he did not sin. That's what the Bible teaches. He went to the cross and he hung on a cross. It wasn't some mystical moment. He really died. Human. He died. Christ. Listen, when Mary went to the tomb, she was looking for a body. Not some mystical something whatever. She was looking for the body of her Savior. And when he was there. Y'all remember this. Y'all know this. Y'all come to church on Easter. Y'all know what I'm talking about. She's confused and distraught and she's frustrated. She doesn't know what to do. They think someone's stolen his body. And all of a sudden he says, who are you looking for among the dead? He's alive. And all of a sudden the gardener, she thinks the gardener, all of a sudden he reveals himself to her and it's her Lord. And she has that moment with him. And he it's a real Lord, real risen, physical body, Jesus. It wasn't mystical. It was real. He really had to die. If you, if you take away his physical death, you take away the atonement. Friend, we're still in our sins and we only got one place we're heading and it's not heaven. 
It is only through His death on the cross that we have the ability to place our faith in Him and come under the blood of Jesus. It's the purifying blood of the Lord and our Savior that sets us free, cleanses us from sin, and sets us free to, to know Him forevermore. So, I mean, it's a big deal. It's a big deal today. It's a big deal in the first century. The first thing that, that, that John declares here in this statement, which seems maybe a little off, he says, or odd to us right here, he declares, he says in verse 5, first thing I want you to know is about the nature of God. He says, God is light, and in Him there's no darkness at all. No darkness whatsoever. The first thing that he wants to remind the people of God there in that area, and for us to even so today, that God has revealed Himself in light. Oftentimes in Scripture, God reveals Himself. Remember the Exodus Right, It was the pillar of cloud by day, and it was the fire of, by night to give them light. When Moses went up on Mount Sinai, meeting with the Lord face to face, what? It was God's reflection when he came down, the countenance, the illumination of God's presence that shone upon People couldn't even look at him because he had that radiance. The Scripture says in 1 Timothy, he says, Keep this command without fault or failure until the appearing of our Lord Jesus. God will bring this about in his own time. He is, he is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and lives in unapproachable light. At the transfiguration, y'all remember this in Matthew 17? What does he do? Jesus gives the three apostles to come up there with him, and he manifests himself in light. He was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His garments became white as light. God is light in the sense that He is life. We read that earlier. They quoted the scripture out of John chapter 1. That His light has appeared. The life of God has appeared. He is the source and sustainer of both the physical and the spiritual life. Period. This is what John is expressly putting forth here in this passage. He is the author and finisher of life. And he expresses this Purely in that gospel we just read earlier. A couple things here. What does that mean, light? That God is light. First, it represents that it, the truth of God as embodied in His Word. Y'all remember these words the psalmist quoted? He says, what? Your Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The unfolding of your words gives light and it gives understanding to the simple. In other words, God being light represents the truth of God being presented here in the Word of God for us today. Yes, it illumines our mind, it opens our mind, it gives us clear uh, understanding and insight. I wanted so desperately today to figure out how to, way to bring a lot of light up into the house of the Lord. You know, Only so much you can do in a few days, you know what I'm saying? I really did. Do we have a spotlight? I thought I saw one of those closets we're going to clean out. I get you. All right, hold on. And yes, we will clean them out. All right, so... I wanted to get a spotlight, but then I thought, no, no. I mean, what if, I, what if I shine it on the wrong person? You know what I'm saying? Because we have light in this room. If we cut these lights off, we're not going to do it. There's light coming in from the outside. But the Bible says that God is light, unapproachable light. I mean, it shines so bright. I think sometimes we get accustomed to the light around us, and we don't realize how dull it really is. You know, some say it's the radiance of the sun. Now, I don't encourage you, please don't go staring to the sunlight. You know what I'm talking about? The lumens are going to get to you. It's going to burn your eyes. It's so bright. But when the light of God, when the light of God's presence shines in our life, it illuminates stuff. I think that's why we don't like the light sometimes. I'm going to be honest with you. We want to kind of hang out where it's a little cloudy. You know what I'm talking about? God, I don't want to see this so clearly. 
But God is saying, no, I want to make it clear, crystal clear. When you open up his word, it opens up his light to shine deep into our life. The second aspect of God being light is this. Scripture links light with virtue or moral conduct. In other words, he talks about we claim we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness. That indication is this, the walk, the same terminology in Ephesians, right? When he says walk or walk in a manner or live your life in a manner worthy of the calling you've received in Christ Jesus. So when we talk about walking and living in the light, it refers to our moral conduct. It, it refers to my example of my life, my live. In, in other words, he says it this way in Ephesians 5. You were formerly in darkness. Everybody here today, if you, before coming to Christ, you walked in darkness. You were ignorant. You didn't understand. I can testify to that. I lived my life as if God did not exist. And then the light of his gospel shined deep into my heart. And it awakened me. It helped me to see the truth that he really is who he says he is. And I really need Him as a Savior. But we walked in darkness, but now we walk in light of the Lord. Children of the light. So when we say this, the, the moral conduct, this is the, this is the ambition. This is what John's really presenting here to the, to the church here. And the church is in Asia Minor. He says, I want you to understand who God really is. And He is light. And He illuminates everything. And His Word illuminates everything. Because God needs to shine brightly on our lives today. It's no different in the 21st century as well. God, we need you to illuminate our lives. Lord, if it's left up to us, you know what will happen? We'll go all kind of roads. I'll be honest with you. We'll go down all kind of trails. That's, what hap- that's what's happening here in this passage. You've got, you've got people, well-meaning, whatever it may be, and they've gone down a road that God never intended to walk. They begin to think things that are not true about sin and about their lives and about the Lord. And they start going. Whenever you depart from the Word of God, you just end up going whatever you think is best, and it's always going to lead you down a road you never thought you'd walk, to a place you never thought you would go, keep you way longer than you ever thought you would stay. The second thing is the certainty of sin. I know you probably don't want to hear this this morning, but sin is real, and it's certain, and there's no doubt about it. All of us, the Bible says, have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all missed the mark. I mean, the, 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 you know, you would be quick to recognize and to acknowledge that we need a Savior. To even acknowledge that means you know that you're a sinner. That you've missed the mark. You've done wrong. You have not believed in the one and true living God, Jesus Christ. It, it, and so when I, want to, when I say this, the certainty of sin, it's necessary for us to recognize that God's forgiveness cons, consists in two specific ways towards us. I'm going to use two words here. Positional righteousness and practical righteousness. In other words, a judicial or legal justification. I've I've preached on this. We don't need to do it again. But in other words, when we come to faith in Christ, God has changed our position before Him. Once I was in darkness, once I was alienated, now in Christ through the blood of Jesus, I am a new creature, a new person, and I am set free from sin and assured of heaven forevermore. There is no, there, there's no losing that salvation. It has been written in the blood of Jesus. It is signed, sealed, delivered, hallelujah, forevermore. That is positional righteousness. Yes, I'm still on earth, but I am different in the eyes of God. He does not look at you the same when you come into the blood of Jesus. Now he looks at you and sees Christ's atoning sacrifice, and we are forever changed. Very grateful. Positional righteousness. It's a promise of the gospel that's free and graciously forgives all sin, those that truly repent and believe in the person and the work of the Son of God. 
It's beautiful. It is eternal, God's forgiveness, and it's unchangeable. This is positional righteousness. In other words, it's been settled. It's been done. He has decreed verdict through the cross, His death and resurrection. It's done. There's also a practical righteousness. In other words, the Bible would use words like sanctifying or set apart, personal righteousness. In other words, my day-to-day living. This is where John is coming down to right here. In other words, repentance is not only leads me to salvation once and for all, but repentance is is part of my daily life with Christ. I hope you hear me today that there's not one of us in here that got it all together. I hope you understand that. I don't mean that to be judgmental. I'm just telling you what... It's just humanity. We all are in need of Christ and His forgiveness on a day-to-day basis. Go back to the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. He teaches us to pray, God, forgive us of our sins, our debts, as we forgive those who trespass against us. It assumes we're going to mess up. It doesn't mean you lose your salvation. No, your position is firm. But our practical daily living before God, righteousness, is necessary for us to repent and receive forgiveness. Jesus illustrates this. We'll do this one day. Uh, through, the, through the washing of Peter's feet. I don't know if y'all have ever had a foot washing. Well, I hope you wash your feet. But anyway. I'm talking about, a, you know. But a foot washing. I mean, you go back to John chapter 13. When he gets to Peter. I mean, you've you got to love Peter. When you get to Peter... Uh, Jesus makes a statement. He says, he who bathes needs, not only to, uh, needs only to wash his feet but it's completely clean. And the Lord made a distinction between this type of forgiveness, of positional and practical. He said the all-cleansing bath represents God's application of Christ's death upon repentant sinners. In other words, we've, we've asked God to forgive us. He has cleansed us completely and forevermore. However, the washing of feet, on the other hand, represents what? Day-to-day forgiveness in Christ. It was common in the first century. They wore sandals. They walked up and down the street. The feet got dirty. And what happens? You come in, you wash your feet because you need some cleansing on your feet. In the same way Christ represents this, He paints a picture that you are forever cleansed when you come to faith in Christ. But but we need daily cleansing in the Lord from, from where we walk through this world, get things on our feet. We get caught up in stuff. Whatever it may be, sin gets into our life. And we need forgiveness of that. We need to confess that and forsake that regularly. And that's what he means by the washing, metaphorically, the dirt off of their feet. In fact, he says, Peter, you don't need... You know, Remember, Peter wanted him to bathe them all over. He said, no, 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 you don't need that. You just need your feet washed. Now, there's a couple of things here I want to talk to you about real quickly here about lies about sin. Because at the heart of this erroneous thinking is the way they were thinking about sin in this moment, in this, in this area, and, and, and the, the, the teaching that was coming forth for some people. So John addresses this straightforward. And I'm going to list it in here. There's several lies about sin that he brings out and really kind of wants to bring it to the table to make sure we understand the truth about this. He wants us to live by the truth. The first one is this. In verse 6 it says, If we claim we have fellowship with Him, we're talking about fellowship with the Lord, that we have been cleansed, that we are walking with Christ, yet we walk in darkness. We lie, and we do not live by the truth. I call this the darkness lie. They're all up there. The darkness lie. In other words, we claim to have fellowship with the Lord, yet we walk in darkness. We lie. They claim to have fellowship with God, 
to, to share some common aspects of his life, this eternal life. However, there's an incongruity in their life. They claim to know Christ, yet there's a, there's a walk, there's a lifestyle that doesn't back up their profession of faith. And they were in darkness. Now, make no mistake, John's clearly saying there's a problem here. Listen, please hear me. Please hear me, church. I want, I want you to hear me. You can come down this aisle and profess Christ all you want. You can say to me, Jay, I want to get baptized. Oh, okay. I'll be happy. We'll go ahead and fill it up right now. Let's do it. You can come down here and profess Christ. You can, you can walk around and say, yeah, I'm a Christian. But friend, if your life has not been changed from the inside out, and there's no difference, something is wrong. And what's happening here in the first century, there are people probably, oh no, it doesn't matter. In fact, the Gnostics would say it doesn't matter how you live because the really only thing that's important is the spiritual side of your life, not the physical. And John's saying, that's a lie. If you claim to be in Christ, there ought to be a difference in how you're walking in this life. Did I say you're perfect? No, there's not a perfect person in this room. But there ought to be a difference. Who's the difference? Christ in me. The hope of glory. If there's no difference, something's wrong. What's the problem here is that people are saying, oh, no, no, it's okay. Just go ahead and say you love the Lord. Just don't live like you love Him. And they were saying, oh, that'll be okay. And John's saying, that's a lie. That's a lie. He said they're still in darkness. And in other words, the, the imagery there is they're still dark. They're still darkened. They're in their sin. They don't even know Christ. I would submit to you some of the hardest people to reach with the gospel are religious people. People that act like they, oh yeah, I got it. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'd much rather deal with somebody that knows they're a sinner in need of a Savior. I can walk with that person. But to the person that says, no, I'm okay, I'm good. Even though their life does not evidence, there's no evidence. At all. Listen, I'm not trying to be judgmental. I'm just being honest. John wasn't trying to be judgmental. He's just trying to speak the truth and proclaim the truth. Don't act like you love Jesus and go live however you want to. That's incongruent. It's a lie. You're still in darkness. And it's a lie. The second is the deception. The deception. He said if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now this one's a little interesting because now we've moved to another group of folks that are a little prouder than the first in other words, uh, the, the first group kind of ignored it, their sin. In other words, they're just going to live in darkness. They're going to keep doing what they're doing, and they're going to act like it's not a big deal. This one, this group was saying, mm -mm, it's okay. Listen, I'm a Christian. I've been saved by the Lord. I, there's no sin at all. I never sin. I have no sin in my life whatsoever. And I'm, I'm going to submit to you, this is, the, this is the beginnings of what they would call Gnosticism. Where the material, the physical, has no part and bearing in your Christian life. And they would say, no, it's just the spiritual side. Just claim the blood of Jesus and move on. It doesn't matter how you live, what you act like, and all that stuff. And you see the separation there. And John real clearly says, no, 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 no. You're being deceived. This is, this is a lie. There's no, there's no trust such thing. In fact, you would go on and you would kind of you kind of sense that some of the folks here that are promoting this kind of act like they're on a higher plane, spiritual plane, than those around them. I always get real nervous when people talk about deeper meaning sometimes in the Word of God. I'm a simple man, brother. I'm just going to be straight up with you. 
But I hear some people start talking about, oh, deeper meanings or multiple meanings or higher levels, and only certain people attain to that. And I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let me remind you your Bible. I know you know your Bible. Go back to the Greek. Some of y'all are saying, what in the world's Greek got to do with it? It's everything to do with it. It was written in the Koine Greek. Now, I'm not a fancy Greek linguist by no means. Learn that word. Koine means common. The everyday common language in the first century was the Greek, Koine Greek. In other words, let me just be honest with you. God intends for me and you to know His Word. Personally, practically in our everyday life. If somebody comes around and you says, Oh no, only certain people attain a certain knowledge. No, 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 you need to back up from that because that's not what the Bible says is true. They're lying. It's a deception. When someone makes this statement that sin no longer exists in their lives on this side of heaven, they don't understand at all the progressive nature of being set apart. The fancy word is sanctification. To be made holy. Y'all know this. I'm talking to... Come on, y'all. You understand, when you come to faith in Christ, God's got a plan and a purpose for your life. And one of those reasons is to be like Christ. To be more and more like Jesus. We ought to be able to look back in our life over the last six months. Am I more like Christ today than I was six months ago? Y'all with me? Am I growing in Christ? Am I looking like Christ? Do I smell like Christ? Do I like the things that Christ likes? Can somebody look into my life and say, man, there's a little something in him. I can see a little Jesus up in him. This is the gospel. God taking over our hearts and our lives when we come to faith in Christ. The Holy Spirit of God occupies this life for one reason. To make us more like Jesus. And that process is me. I don't know about you, but it's full of a lot of repentance. And acknowledging that I've messed up and done wrong. And God just picks me up and says, it's okay, boy, let's go. Keep moving. God's grace and God's forgiveness. I reminded my little life group. I call them my little Sunday school class this morning. Paul, you say to me, Paul, at the end of his life, y'all remember this? One of the last things he said, he said, I'm a chief of sinners. I'm like, come on, Paul. God used him to pen most of the New Testament. Good night. You read, go back and read in Acts, man. Handkerchiefs were being used and people being set free from demonic possession and all this stuff going on. And Paul says, I'm the chief of sinners. I'm just going to be straight up. I think the closer we become more like Christ, the more we realize how we're not Christ. How much we need His grace and forgiveness all the more. The last group, I will say this, is the defaming lie. Uh, in your Bible, in verse 10, it says, If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and that the word has no place in our lives. And you see a progression here in what John's dealing with. And friend, it starts with the very subtle, and it moves you to a place that you never thought you would go. And yes, there were people in the first century, even in the context of some of the churches, that were saying, Oh, we've never sinned. We've never. There's no reason. To even talk about that word sin. Don't even bring it up. Nobody's sin. We're all okay. We're all going to heaven. Y'all think that's new, 21st century. Man, that's happening in the first century in AD 80. It comes from the same one. It's called the liar who's been lying from the beginning. But I mean, just think about it. I talked to somebody one time and they were okay about not going to heaven. I'm like, what? How in the world is that possible? They didn't believe in the forgiveness of sin. They honestly thought, there's no point in going to heaven. I'm not going to be forgiven of sin. I'm okay. And they were okay with that. How can you be okay with knowing you're not going to heaven? That means you're going to hell. How is that possible? But they had been led to believe that. 
I wish I could tell you that, that me sharing the truth changed them in that moment. But no, so, I'm telling you, some people get so deluded in a lie, they'll believe whatever. They'll walk down that road. John's dealing with this. Now, I will say this. When you get to this point and you say there's no such thing as sin, you're saying there's no such thing as a need of a Savior. You are explicitly denying the Word of God. Romans 3 says all have sinned. Not only that, you are explicitly, implicitly denying the need for Savior. Jesus came for no reason if there was no sin that separated us from God, thus defaming the Lord. All right, several things here about truth, and I'm going to bring this to a close. About Christian living. Because he talks about this in this little passage. You want to know the truth? The truth is first. If you make a note, number one, walk in the light. Walk in the light. Quit groping around in darkness. Turn the switch on. Open up your word of God. Open up your heart to the Lord. I'm talking about you brothers and sisters in Christ. Walk in the light. Quit making excuses for ourselves and what we're not doing or what we should be doing. And walk in the light. Let the light of the gospel shine brightly in our hearts. Good night. God, overwhelm us with your presence and your power. The goodness of God. The Bible says you have a new heart, a new life, a new faith, a new destiny. New things have come because of Christ in us. The hope of glory. Walk in the light. Don't listen to the lies of the darkness. Walk in the light. Live in such a way to bring honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. Second thing is this. Don't forget about the purifying power of the blood of Jesus. Man, I, I, I just want to praise the Lord this morning for the purifying power of the blood of Jesus. God grants His grace. Why? So that we can live each day for Him. There is no hope for us to live for Christ except through the blood of Christ. The incredible cleansing power of the Lord sets us free from any and everything so that we can be turned loose to live for Christ. Good night. Doesn't mean we don't struggle. I would ask you to raise your hand if you're in a struggle. Man, we all struggle. But we're what? Struggling in Christ. That means we are submitting every day to the Lord Jesus. We are relying and depending upon His power through the blood of Jesus. The personal presence of God. Him applying that in my heart, my life. It means I'm wrestled not with flesh and blood, but there's powers that I'm going to wrestle with. That means there's a flesh inside of me that wants to do things that I'm going to wrestle with that. Don't just let it lead you down a road. Why? There's too much at stake. The testimony of our Lord. God doesn't have a plan B. It's me and you, church. There's no other plan. It's me and you. You say, what do you mean? I'm telling you, I don't work where you work. I don't go where you go. People where you are need to see Christ. There's so much at stake. You want to know the truth? Walk in the light. Pure, and don't forget about the purifying blood of Jesus. Number three, I'm going to say it. Confess your sin. I would at this point probably call you to come down and have a confessional time. You know, there's some churches, nothing wrong with that, they'll have confessional times. They'll have little times for us to come and confess your sin. And there's nothing wrong with that. You might in just a moment when we sing a song of response, might want to confess something that's deep on your heart. Please do that. Don't, don't negate that whatsoever. But friends, you don't have to come to me to confess your sin. You come to Jesus. As a believer in Christ, you can come before Him. And listen, you don't have to do it in the church house. You can do it at your house. You can do it on the road. You can do it in your car. Whenever God rains down conviction in your heart, don't turn away from it. Don't resist it. Submit. Confess. 
That word, I mean, it's just simple. Let's just keep it simple. It means to say the same thing. If God calls it sin in your life, it's sin. It's rebellion, just call it rebellion. If it's wickedness, it's wickedness. You might not like these words, but these are words of sin. The truth is we've missed the mark. Say with him what he says it is. That's what it means to confess. That means to agree with God about it, to acknowledge its reality. And you know what? Your absolute dependence on the blood of Jesus to purify your hearts and your minds and your soul. Listen, I want you to hear this. God has more concern than probably you do about you coming, being real, being sincere and confessing your sin before Him. He wants you more than you probably even understand to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what does that mean? That means that sin no longer is going to reign and rule in this body, but I'm going to live my life in such a way to be submissive to the Holy Spirit of God through this Word to be all that God's called me to be for His glory. Go back and read in your Bible and Acts about Paul. I can't help but to just think about Paul and his ministry there in Ephesus. He was heading to uh, Rome. They knew, the, they knew the pilgrimage. In fact, he, he said, the Holy Spirit warns me every time I go into a city that I'm going to be persecuted might even die. And yet he was passionate. He said, you know what? Listen, this is Paul. Because they were, they were begging him not to go. They were saying, don't go. I can, I can, I can just imagine that moment. And he says to them, he says, look, I just want to finish the task of sharing the gospel with the Gentiles. That's me and you, unless you're Jewish. Aren't you grateful today? Aren't you grateful that he didn't back down from a little bit of struggle in his world? I mean, aren't you thankful That he stayed true to the calling that was on his life to preach the gospel. Can I help y'all out a little bit this morning? There are people in your world that need us to be faithful to finish the task. I'm telling you, there's some friends you got right now that are not going to see Jesus unless they see Jesus in you. It's not going to happen. That's not a burden. I'm not putting that on you. I'm just being honest. This is real. This is what John's saying. Look, at the core of what's going on here, don't lose sight of the truth. The truth is what? As Christians, what what, what are we called to do? Walk in the light. Rely on the purifying blood of Jesus. Confess that sin. Don't hold on to it. Don't blame somebody else. Turn from it in genuine repentance. Gavin, I want to ask you to come on up, man. Come on. We're going to move to a time of response here in just a moment. We're going to sing a song. And uh, I, I hope I shared this earlier. John's heart for the, for the Christians there in this area. In chapter 2, verse 1, he says, My dear children. My dear children. A term of endearment. He loved them. I mean, John's got to be probably around 80, 85 years old at this time. And he is so in love with the brothers and sisters in Christ in this area. But he sees the potential harm, what's happening in the midst, and the erroneous thinking. He so wants them to know the truth, and he so wants them to what? Not sin. Don't go down that road. It's a horrible road. I mean, for even brothers and sisters in Christ to go down there, it's horrible. So everything he's saying, he's saying from a fatherly love, saying, I want you to not do that.
I'm going to share the good news. More good news. But if you do sin, thanks be to God, we have one that speaks to the Father on our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He's the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Not only for ours, but the sins of the world. In this moment, John's love for his brothers and sisters comes out. Church, let me remind you. If we do sin, you don't come to God as judge. You come to Him as your Heavenly Father who wants you to come back to Him and commune with Him personally and intimately. Okay, you did wrong. Confess it. Turn from it. Thank Him for the blood of Jesus that cleanses and purifies your life. And then come back to your Heavenly Father and enjoy that incredible fellowship with Him. Father, we just want to thank You today. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God, I pray that the truth of Your Word goes forth into our hearts today. God, I pray for the people of God here, the, everyone that's here today. Dear Jesus, if there's anything in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives that's hindering us, it's this sin. God, bring it to our attention that we may turn from it, confess it, and cling to the blood of Jesus and purify our hearts today. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Stand with me, church. We're going to sing a song of response. Friend, as we sing this, let me encourage you. Take time with the Lord this morning. Do that today.